Welcome back, folks. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. We are here to give you the finale of Season 2 of The Witcher, where today all we are doing is discussing fun things that we saw inside Season 2. If you guys have joined us previously for End of Arc uh, episodes, we normally do a rankings where we kind of put our list from like number five to number one of our favorite things about certain different things we find in each series. And so we wanted to kind of do something fun and similar today with The Witcher Season 2. So we'll be ranking a couple different things. We're also going to be talking about where we want to see the show go from here, certain uh, maybe characters we want to follow a bit more, get more backstory on, and just overall you know, impressions and takeaways from the season as a whole. I know we've kind of gone through some takeaways per episode, but now you know, to kind of close it all out and to kind of wrap a nice little neat bow on The Witcher Season 2, we're just going to get here to have a nice, fun rankings episode, talk a little bit about all those fun things going forward, and you know, to look what we're looking forward for season three and beyond if The Witcher continues the way we think it's going to. And uh, really excited to dive into that today. But before we do, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase, let him say a few words, and then we'll dive right into it. Yeah, man. Looking forward to this one. So it's been a, you know, we've had a long ride here on The Witcher, which is nice because we didn't do that last season. So we got to take our time with it. And then now we get to have the fun episode to close it out on a high note. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a good time. So looking forward to it. And uh, I say let's dive right into it. I'll let Jay Nelly take it away. Real quick before, because I kind of like the point you just brought up on how it was really, it really is so much more, Not I wouldn't say like, a, it's still a challenge, but it's like a more manageable challenge when we're able to really focus in on the details of one episode at a time like we did for The Witcher and it really makes it so there's really nothing that we're not covering. We're not missing certain details. You know, from before, we would always kind of talk about what was important to us and what we thought was important. But, you know, learning as we're going here, too, maybe other people notice certain things that stood out, stood out to them. And so when it's a, lot, it's a lot easier to cover all the, like, the nitty-gritty details when we're able to take it one episode at a time. So we recognize that it's been really great uh, for us here in Season 2 going forward with, like, some levels of efficiency. And so... Uh, yeah, really, really good point that you made there, brother. So I'm with you, man. Let's go ahead and dive on into the rankings that we got. Let's raise our glass for a little mouse in the chalice here. Uh, here's the season two of The Witcher. Let's do it justice today. Uh, a little bone voyage for season two of The Witcher until it comes back around for season three. Uh, mouse in the chalice, brother. Mouse in the chalice, man. All right, let's go ahead and dive right on into our rankings today i think it'd be best if we start out with something fun uh if you guys really enjoyed witcher season two you got to see a lot of new monsters come into play so i think it's only appropriate that we start by ranking our favorite monsters that we saw in season two starting from our fifth favorite to our first favorite kind of like we've always done our top five rankings and i'll let chase kick us off with his number five monster in the witcher season two so my number five monster so uh yeah and one on here i don't know if you can really consider him a monster that's on here but uh it, it is really a monster but my number five is actually the leshy so do you remember the leshy that actually um uh, he wound up killing what's his face. He, he attacked all his witchers. What was the guy's name that he killed? Eskel. Eskel. Yeah, he killed Eskel, 
and he it kind of worked as like a parasite but it reminded me of kind of like those tree things that you see in lord of the rings the two towers uh hint hint <laughs> talk about that at some point hopefully <laughs> um but a little foreshadowing there but uh it was really cool i i liked how you know it could kind of uh entwine itself in like a parasite take over the entire area uh that it consumes on top of being a monster in the way you defeated it was you had to basically put a flame through its heart with like that's almost that's how Geralt did it with the sword when he lit the sword on fire and remember they were saying Eskel fought that thing for like six hours at first and it still technically won <laughs> because Eskel got his ass beat in the end by that thing it consumed him so for that I had to rank the Leshy as number five so it's really funny like I'm actually very curious to how our, our rankings stack up because uh, we usually don't start with the same one, but in this case, I also ranked the Leshy number five, and you know it was a really cool monster. The one that killed Eskel was a little bit unique, right? Because it had that mutation that allowed it to infect Eskel, when Leshies really aren't able to do that. And you know, one of the biggest reasons I couldn't rank it any higher than five is because Eskel forgot how to kill it. It's not like it was so right. badass. It's just like he he forgot that, like Chase said, you gotta put a flame through its heart to take it out. And, you know, and we did see, and I'm not going to give it away because maybe this comes up to play later in my rankings. You know, we got to see, it, it, we saw that same Leshy with no arm, and it was coming for Geralt and Ciri, and we saw what happened to it real quickly. And so it, to me, it's like, man, how, how badass could it really have been? Um, so that's why, you know, it was, it, it was cool enough to make the list, but I don't, I couldn't get it any higher just simply because I believe the other monsters. Uh, possess more abilities and are a little bit cooler in my opinion and so yeah that is why I also ranked the Leshy number five and Chase go ahead and give him your number four so my number four and this comes with a little bit of a debate because I got the one I was gonna put at number four and I didn't put him on the list because I didn't feel like it was necessarily a monster but I'll give an honorable mention was Nivellin uh, do you remember Nivellin so I didn't put him on the list but because I wouldn't really call him a monster because he was cursed, right? But he looked like a monster, I guess you could say. Yeah, uh, you know, that's your discretionary, you know, if you want to put it on there or not. I, I would kind of lean towards agreeing with you, saying he's more like a cursed human. Uh, that had, he had, It was cool about him, too, is he had some level of magical ability. Not necessarily sure if he was a mage or not, but, like, uh, you know, uh, he was cursed and he had monster-like qualities. Uh, so... You know, that's kind of like a judgment call. But if you didn't put him at number four, which one did you put at number four? I put the Chernabog as okay. number four. Do you remember the Chernabog? Yeah, yeah of course. Thing was badass, man. I I, I love the whole idea of how I guess it came through like the monoliths uh, and was kind of like feeding almost in a way off of not feeding, but uh, could really get a pool of series energy, but. Remember when Geralt like took that thing down and it looked like Viserion was crashing into the ground there and you had to stab it um, basically like where it had no armor like drag it down is the way you had to do that but those things are beasts you know those talons uh, they could snatch up like swords it was basically like fighting like a steel dragon and it was super fast 
Um, remember, people forget it. It killed a roach, unfortunately. It was like one of those things it killed. So I just feel like for its power, of course, it definitely wasn't one of my favorites. But because uh, the fact of, you know, I'm a big dragon guy. I am the Targaryen on the show here. Uh, and it just it's it's sure strength and speed. Um, it, 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 I wouldn't want to meet one of those things in close combat. Uh, Geralt had to actually use Cirilla as bait, remember, that we were talking about as live bait to draw it out into the open. Um, so I rank the Chernabog as number four. What about you, my man? So I'm glad that we don't have the same exact list then, so that's perfect. <laughs> uh, for me, I ranked that Myriapod number four. And the reason I make rank the Myriapod number four is because uh, it it ended up taking out the Leshy. That's why it's above the Leshy for sure. All it did was like one stab down and like that almost kind of built a little bit of a plot hole into it because the Miripod's uh, talons or whatever, like the, the hand slicing thing was not on fire. So how it killed the Leshy without having fire through the heart, I'm not really sure, but you know, I guess we're just going to go with that. Um, <laughs> but the point is, is that it's definitely, if I put the Leshy on my list, I definitely had to put the Miripod on my list because the Miripod took out the Leshy, right? It was the same exact yeah. Leshy that killed Eskel because it had the missing arm. So, I mean, that's a big reason why. It also kind of looked pretty cool, too. Like, half centipede, half scorpion, half, you know. It, it was just, it was interesting looking. It was cool. Uh, it didn't it didn't crack any higher in my list. And, and it wasn't even, like, a close. This was a solid number four for me. It wasn't like, man, I should move this up to three, but I kind of like this one a little bit better. Like, no, nah, it, was, it was a steady four for me uh, on the list. Like, it, it was... It made a quick impact, and then it died pretty quickly. It, it pinned Cirilla back against those mountains, and then Geralt came down, jumping through, and you know, doing Geralt things, and took it out fairly. I don't want to say easily, but definitely uh, efficiently, and got it out, out of the way. It wasn't something that came back repeatedly and gave him issues. And so, yeah, I think that's a big reason why I have him on my list is that it took out the Leshy. I couldn't put him any higher though, because the Miripod. Uh, kind of was in and out of our lives pretty quickly. It was like a, maybe like a seven-minute scene of what we had the Myriapod, and we didn't even get the, like it was so unimportant that they didn't even mention it by name until <laughs> t- until two episodes later uh, when he brought the head of the Myriapod to uh, Istrid, you know, over by um, Sintra. So uh, yeah, man, that's why I've got uh, the Myriapod number four. Uh, how about you take it away with number three on your list? Oh, 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 this was a perfect transition because I myself did rank it number three on my list as the Myriapod. <laughs> I just don't know how you damn couldn't. It was amazing. It was badass. I even let you take that spot. It was fantastic. Remember that thing? It looked like a, just like you said, like a centipede or something. It even had some like human hands on the inside when it was reaching out for Siri. But the way it killed that fucking Leshy, man, it, like, chopped that Leshy in half. And the whole idea with, remember, Geralt, like, had to swoop down and cut its head off. It, it was it was badass looking. Uh, it could have beat the shit out of anything. I think it did serve a purpose because that's how they were able to uh, find out that these monsters were being created, almost in a way. So it did serve a purpose. But I just thought it was badass, man. The fact that it beat the Leshy's ass. They had to put it up there. And I ranked it above the Chernabog because the Chernabog, it seemed really dangerous. But in a way, it it, it least the Myriapod pinned Siri in a corner. Like that thing just the Chernabog just dove down at Siri and Gerald beat that ass. So I mean 
With that being said, have to rank the Myriapod higher than the Chernabog. So number three on my list is the Myriapod. Back to and you, Jay Nelly. This is where we disagree, because I put the Chernabog number three. <laughs> I put, put the Chernabog up there, and let me tell you why. Number one, it stayed in our lives a little bit longer, because it was, you know, we saw it be formed in the end of the episode prior to when it came through and attacked. And like you said, if I just go by aesthetics, it looked like a stone dragon. It was kind of cool. It looked pretty oh, badass. You know, flew through, it was big, and, like, here's the thing. It, it took out a character in Roach that has been with us since season one. It took out something important to us. Like, it didn't give us a huge feel like taking out a main character, but, like, the Myriapod, it just took out Aleshi, and, like, it's almost like the Witchers lied about how to kill Aleshi because all it did was, like, slice halfway through its body, and apparently that was it. And, like, the Aleshi didn't see it coming. It didn't have a chance to defend itself. It was, like, focused on... Siri and Geralt and the Maripod just happened to sneak up behind it and take it out real quick. I do agree with you that it did serve a purpose and then finding the Stella site inside of it and figuring out they were created through the monolith. But, you know, in terms of why I think the, the Chernabog was just a little bit cooler, it stayed around longer and it took out Roach and a character that we had a little bit of an emotional connection to. Geralt for sure had a heavy emotional connection to it. That was his, like, you know, think about, you know, my... Like, for a personal tie to me like my dog when my dog passed away like that was a really hard time for me like i think i feel like that was the closest creature to Geralt because he's been known as this uh you know lone wolf guy he's, he's even called the wolf right you know so like he's kind of much a very independent individual and you know he you know loved his like, horse so much he put it out of its misery when it was kind of there bleeding when he realized there was no help in it and you know he he gave that little speech like you know like uh be at peace or something along, along those lines so thing is a turnabout did take out something important um, the fight scene was kind of cool too when it dove at Siri and he jumped from the clean out of thin air and like like shoulder charged it and it's just it, it, the visuals of it were just a lot cooler to me in my opinion I think it was just a little bit more dangerous than the Myriapod and you know uh, I I liked and I think that was also a big moment too when we started to see not only Geralt realizing things could be coming from these monoliths but now other people too being other people being Istrids now seeing things are possible that he didn't think were quite possible we kind of figure out hey maybe like they like the the monoliths they don't know maybe they're not the con maybe they're the conduits like maybe they're not the the thing that you know so i thought that was pretty important um going forward there and again i just i, I do like aesthetically how the chernabog looked as opposed to the Mirapod. and that's my own personal opinion on why i ranked the chernabog number three i'll turn it over to you to take us away with your number two monster well respected man well respected number two and a lot of people are going to disagree with this because it probably a lot of people are going to say it should have been higher but the one i have a number one really i thought i personally like number two i put volith mir <laughs> volith mir is number two man and uh the reason i ranked it number two for the positive reasons is she was badass like absolutely like almost unbeatable in a way i mean even when they felt like they defeated her she you almost get a sense like she was possessing like the race of morgog like or something was going on there when you saw yennefer and siri and Geralt, and almost like what was like the time stone wherever they went through that portal um also to the fact of i mean the, I really in a way you can never say the witchers really defeated her because they trapped her in a hut and then Yennefer wound up releasing her again and the whole way she even possessed Cirilla which you can argue in a way Cirilla with the magic and bloodline she has 
is probably one of the most powerful people in the entire series. I'm willing to argue that um, based on natural ability. And think of it. She conjured whatever it is, whether it's an it, she, him, whatever it is, even though it took the form of like a woman, it conjured basilisks through the monolith. Like that's badass, absolutely badass, uh, insane. Um, which those creatures were badass enough, uh, able to spit venom uh, that Geralt had a hard time even fighting one off on its own. Um, so just everything it was able to do, uh, even uh, just even able to persuade Yennefer and and Frangilla, or Frangilla, whatever the fuck her name is, <laughs> Francesca, the three Fs or two Fs, two Fs and a Y, <laughs> Frangilla, Francesca, and Yennefer, even like from being trapped inside the hut, and then the hut could even move. It was just amazing, uh, all the powers it has, and it's still leaving us questions here. I still don't feel like she was defeated. I still feel like they haven't seen the best of her yet. Uh, so it, it, you, for that reason, you have to rank her towards the top. Didn't rank her number one because I, I just thought the next thing I ranked as number one was personally very cool and intelligent at the same time. Um, so I ranked Volathmir as number two. What about you? Where's number two on your list? So it's interesting. I actually didn't put Volathmir on my list at all, and just simply not because I didn't think she was worth a spot. I was kind of in that same situation with you and Nivellen and not really sure if I could kind of consider her a monster or not because it's almost like she was a witch, which would kind of be that, but she was also like, a, like I think they consider her a demon. So if it was considered a demon, could it kind of be a monster? The witch was fight monsters. So I was kind of like conflicted in myself if I would consider Volathmir more of a monster or more of like a overarching villain that I would talk about maybe yeah. as a series ended. So for that, I actually left Volathmir off. I got no issues with what you said there. I think, you know, if I would have considered it, she would have been somewhere in my top as well. Um, but I did go ahead and, and kind of go away from her and stick to like the monsters that we, uh, other monsters that we saw just because I was kind of, you know, do I, do, I yeah. do, do I go that way? Do I not go that way? So my number two monster that I ranked here in the witcher season two was actually the bruxa and yeah, I, fuck yeah <laughs> hell yeah man hell yeah i i like the bruxa a lot it's like the vampire aspect it like changes form it can fly uh and, and like talk about the, the, how dangerous it is it took out the whole damn village like yeah, the, the village exactly. that like that nivlin was overlooking and his little castle thing in the back towards it you know, at the very beginning of that episode, I remember the family walked in and then the whole village was, was like, dead. Like, there's not a single thing moving in the village and they got fucked up by the Bruxa too. And, you know, that's when Geralt had to go in there and, like, see, whoa, something's going on here. And, you know, and, like, and I'm only assuming you're probably thinking along the same lines when you mentioned intelligence. Is like, this thing had the ability to, like, talk and, like, draw a connection to Cirilla, to where Cirilla's like, hey, like, is this thing as bad as it really seems? And, right. you know, on top of that thing was a badass. Like, when Nivellen finally did put the spear through her, she, like, turned her head around and, like, grabbed the spear and kept pulling it through her own body and stuff. I was like, what the hell, man? Like, this thing's a badass. You know, I have a hard time. I really did have a difficult time between uh, ranking one and two. And the only reason uh, I put it number two is because I felt like the level of difficulty that my number one 
selection faced was a little more difficult than what the Bruxa faced that we saw on screen. So, I mean, the Bruxa has a very big argument for me towards the number one spot. It just it barely missed it. But, yeah, you know, all the abilities that it has, the ability to kind of be intelligent, and it can also speak telepathically in your mind, not just out loud. And you don't really know if it's dangerous, if it's not dangerous. It can kind of present itself as a regular human. You know, it crawls on walls. <laughs> it's just, you know, you touch it, you get this weird, like, like sensation. It's just very, it's an interesting creature, a very well-written creature that I haven't encountered before in other pieces of literature. And so it was fun. It was dangerous. It showed, you know, its abilities in a way that, you know, was really eye-opening and like wow this is pretty cool so for me the bruxa hit number two on my list and yeah i'll turn it over to you to give us your number one i think you know what's number one man <laughs> i think you know what's number one it's the bruxa <laughs> it's the bruxa man and uh to explain myself a little bit on this i didn't put the basilisk on my list because i put volith mir on there and she kind of like I don't want to say conjured the basilisk, but they walked through the monolith, which was there where she was at. So, and there's a lot of creatures and stuff in this series. So it it's, was, wasn't was exactly easy to narrow it down to five, but that's the fun part of this. The Bruxa to me was, uh, I loved it. Like personally, I ranked it number one and it was hands down a number one for me because of just like you were saying, the fact of, remember Verena was kind of crawling on the walls at first and making like that hissing like cricket chirping noise and was trying to get close and was almost like curious trying to find out more information from what Cirilla was and she even said to Cirilla uh you know she said like just because you're different does that make you a monster right and we definitely find out later on Cirilla is definitely different than a lot of people um and so just like you said like the fact that it had intelligence but then also the fact that it's a vampire and it's the only vampire that can actually stay out in the sun like you said killed an entire fucking village and is just hiding in an inn and to the fact of to the point of it literally you can definitely sense it almost has it's a monster that has almost like a in a way can actually have feelings because it made Nivellin fall in love with it and it was letting it feed off her so letting her feed off him so it definitely has unique abilities that we haven't seen anywhere else even on top of the fact of you know it has the screeching ability and the paranormal going with it like the horror aspect on how it twisted its whole body when it was stabbed through the back right stuff like that and the whole vampire aspect but the intelligence piece is what really clearly made it my number one so the bruxa i put it at number one what's your number one jay nelly my number one i put as the basilisk and like again this is all personal opinion right like you know i and the reason why i personally like the basilisk more than the Bruxa is because it, its level of difficulty was much higher to me. They were fighting full-on witchers that their sole livelihood is to kill monsters, and these basilisks took out like three of them. One bit one dude's head completely off. Like that, that, that thing decapitated a witcher, killed another one on the ground. Like like they killed three witchers, and you know all these other monsters. They are cool. They they played their role and they were dangerous. 
but none of them, I guess if you considered, even the Leshy didn't kill Eskel. Geralt's the one that had to drive the flame through his heart to actually kill him. Like, none of these other monsters killed a Witcher. None of them. You know, this, these Basilisks, like, really fucked up Witchers who are supposed to be monster killers. And, like you said, he had a little bit of a hard time with Geralt with the, the Basilisk that he had to fight one-on-one before he got it out to the ramparts and knocked it off the thing and stabbed it in the heart. Like, you know, these things were really dangerous. And, you know, they were con- you know they were brought through the monolith, you know, by Volthmir. But, again, you know, for me, I didn't really consider Volthmir, like, I don't know if I could put her as a classic monster. These Basilisks for sure were. And so, for me, you know... Maybe they don't have the level of intelligence and like the kind of feeling that you could almost see where they're coming from as a monster, but just their ferocity, their abilities, like to be able to like spit venom, turn things to stone, attack from the sky, they can fly, like, uh, and they, like I said, they took out the monster killers. They took out three witchers. And it was, you know, it was, to me, it was hard to argue those uh, accolades uh, when it come when it came down to it, and so. For me, I went ahead and gave the Basilisks the number one spot here in season two. And, you know, I think it'd be important for us to kind of just go quickly, you know, five through one. So I'll go ahead and start here. You know, the my you know top five favorite monsters of season two in The Witcher, according to Jay and Ellie here. Number five, the Leshy. Number four, the Myriapod. Number three, the Chernobog. Number two, the Bruxa. And number one, the Basilisk. And I'll turn it over to Chase to kind of give his five through one. Yeah, so my five, I got the Leshy for number five. Number four, the Chernabog. Number three, the Myriopod. Number two, Voleth Mir. And the number one, the Bruxa. <laughs> Hell yeah. Awesome. That's, that's badass, man. So I, I say we take a little, uh, little sip-ski now that we finish our first ranking. I go ahead and crack this little can here. Have a good one. Good time with this one. And then we'll jump into our next ranking, which happens to be our top five favorite moments in Season 2 of The Witcher. So uh, we're going to go ahead and put this little sound up to the mic here. Oh, that's a beautiful sound. Hope it sounded great to you all back home. Feel free to crack one with us. And uh, cheers, brother. Cheers, brother. All right. So, since you went ahead and kicked us off with the fifth monster to start with, I'm going to go ahead and kick us off with the the fifth favorite moment. So, the number five favorite moment for me in season two of The Witcher, it for me, and this is actually I believe if you guys look on Netflix, it, it's the almost the trailer of getting you guys involved with season two. It's when uh, Geralt says. Let's play a drinking game, and they they yeah. play the they play the knife throwing game, and this is the reason why I really enjoyed this this moment here is because, like I mentioned earlier when we we're talking about you know the death of Roach and how Geralt seems to be kind of like a lone wolf type guy doesn't have a lot of friends, he he actively sought out Nivellin. He wanted to like stay with his friend there, and there was a whole village. Obviously, with the the, the Bruxa things, kind of got a little. Outwards, and obviously, you know, Nivellin went through the whole story of how he got cursed into the monster that he was, and you know, another reason too. Just throw this out there, you know, out of my, back of my mind. Chase is the one that actually brought to my attention that the actor of who plays Nivellin is actually uh, the guy who plays Tormund in Game of Thrones. So uh, that was cool. <laughs> but I just thought it was cool that he, he, you got to see Geralt in a friendship type capacity. Obviously, he was trying to do it for some information. He wanted to play it to get that. But, like, you can generally tell he was having a good time with his old pal there. Like, he was trying to get information and, and things of that nature. But 
obviously he didn't fully trust him because he he saw the tracks and you know obviously he did that thing with the priest that he tried to rape the priest there and and that's what got him cursed but you could definitely tell there was some level of a bond between Nivellen and and Geralt and so when they were kind of playing like a casual drinking game it was like a competition it was fun they were throwing the knives at and trying to hit his dad in the head because they both didn't like his dad <laughs> like I don't know for me it was just a nice bonding little moment and it was like it was like heartwarming to see Geralt in like that level of capacity of you know almost like friendship and so for me that's why that was my number five uh, favorite moment of season two of The Witcher uh, go ahead and take away with your number five moment yeah man no it was a great one um so my number five moment is actually when Siri was training to get through the obstacle course. <laughs> it was a uh, badass. Um, you know, she got her ass handed to her. Like she was, she was knocked down like multiple times. Lambert even kept telling her, "You really want to do what we do? <laughs> like you want to just give up?" And then remember, Geralt when she got all the way through it, Geralt even said, "So close." <laughs> so close but uh the reason i really like this moment and ranked it number five is it showed that cirilla despite the magical natural ability she has she still is human and has to persevere through what she's going through and it, i think it really showed in this moment even Geralt. Uh, I think it kind of shocked him to an extent of the dedication she had for what she wanted to do. And uh, even as just an audience member, like it, it really showed me, you know, this girl is really going places. Like it really showed, you know, it really made you think on like what her potential could be if she was that dedicated and uh, trying to be like a warrior necessarily at that point. Um, at that specific point which i don't think that's her exact route but um it really shows that she has a lot of potential going forward so i had to rank that part at number five i like it man uh, like you said like she showed she was cutting her teeth like doing it the hard way not trying to take any easy way out and that's actually really kind of not what you would assume from a princess who grew up in a castle with everything done for her so you know I, i'm with you i think that that's a pretty good one um for me going into number four my number four favorite moment was finding out then they kind of like like the revelation because what happened back in season one we found out that no more witchers were able to be made and so the fact of number four favorite moment we find out that Cirilla's blood is the key to the mutagen that creates new witchers just brings a whole new level of possibilities now to the to the table so where we thought something was done and impossible and never going to be happening again. Now there's a possibility. We can kind of, we were only down, I think I mentioned this, you know, throughout the episodes as we're going through, we're down to like 18 witchers at one point, probably less now after Volmir killed a few, after the Basilisk killed a few. We're probably somewhere at like 12 witchers left, something like that. And, you know, that's not very many to save the continent from all these monsters, right? So, you know, the fact that we have the ability to create new witchers like even though even if we haven't gotten to it yet she hasn't physically done it or used her blood to create a new one for anyone else either you know the fact is is that we've got the key now we know for sure she can make new witchers if they if, if obviously she agrees to it Geralt agrees to it and all that like if we get some agreements across the board I just like the moment we found out that like 
he's like he has hope he's not desperate he's finally got hope and this is talking about vesemir and you know being able to because he kind of he's the you know i would consider like the godfather of the witchers you know he take them took them all under his wing and it hurts him so bad to see each, like when they they die you know it, 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 it takes a huge toll on them and, and they, they're kind of losing more and more of their population and now for the first time in however many years they've got the opportunity to make more and uh, I, I think that was a beautiful moment. It might be a key, important moment going forward in the series, too. And so that's why it hit number four on my list, man. Yeah, man. No, it's a great, that's a great place to rank that. Um, number four, this is where we get a little similar. I, uh, your number five is my number four. <laughs> the game that Nivellin and Geralt played. It was, it was awesome. Just like you said, I really like being able to see Nivellin's magic. Remember, he he jinxed the knives. <laughs> it was uh, I forgot what he called them. He was like fake knives or whatever. But they were always hitting the target, and um, you saw how he was, he was taking advantage of the situation. But just like you said, Geralt really cared about his friend and could almost. This is a really a moment where you see you see moments like this from Geralt throughout the series, but. He was kind of reading into the situation of his friend and he knew he was hiding something which of course led up to the moment with Verena but um, it, it, just like you said it, it really showed a bond there that you've seen that they've had for years no matter how long it's been and that's how you can really tell true friendships so uh, for that moment Geralt playing the knife <laughs> the drinking knife knife game i guess is the way you call it i ranked it number four on my list what about your number three number three i ranked the moment where volith mir is able to trick frangilla francesca and yennefer i don't know if like trick but convince them that what she's saying is the right thing like i remember she tried to become a mirror to Fran frangilla's eyes and like uh ithleen to francesca's eyes and this like version of a, her a, a, her younger self in Yennefer's eyes like and she was able to convince them that her direction was the right one and the reason why I felt that that was so important is number one it led to the events of her escaping the hut and that was and obviously you know she's the major overarching villain of season two but also these three individuals are very powerful like Francesca is the leader of the elves Frangilla is the the high mage of Nilfgaard who attacked the, like Sintra, took over that uh, city, and also went for Sodden as well, and was very close to doing it. If not, and she would have done it if it wasn't for the third person that Voldemir to trick, and Yennefer, who might be one of the most powerful mages that we've got in the show. So like the, it was just a really important moment that they just showed you the level and ability and the strength and the uh, mind games that Voldemir can play and how. You know, she can twist and manipulate and press at your weakest buttons and really get you to do what she wants you to do. And it led to her escape and it led to the events that, you know, what are the climax of season two. And the fact that she was able to, you know, take, you know, really, uh, you know, use her influence and power over these three powerful individuals themselves just was just really impressive. And uh, that's why I ranked number three on my favorite moments list. What about your number three moment? Excellent, man. No, excellent. Uh, you know, people are going to give me shit about this because they probably feel like all that's on my list is just shit about the Bruxa. <laughs> but I put uh, number three, I put Geralt fighting the Bruxa. Because, and the reason why, 
was one this fight scene was badass like and and it opened the entire season like i think it's a benchmark for the season because it opened with a bang right like so many shows especially if it's like a season two not a season one they kind of gradually push you in it this fight scene was fucking awesome remember she was on the ground and it has that emotional attachment where you almost like wonder if it was right what was going on with Geralt trying to kill it because that was his you know that's just his thing like if it's a monster there and it's putting people's lives at risk he's gonna end it but then remember Siri almost like wants to help Verena and you almost feel bad for it when she was like just laying on the ground wounded and she goes over to help it and then Verena takes Siri like hostage by the throat and then you have Nivellin that cared so much for Verena stabbed her through the back and this is why I ranked it so high on my list because it wasn't just a normal fight scene you really got to see Nivellin torn through this whole situation uh because he cared about Verena so much and then it's a big turning point because you thought Nivellin was kind of this great guy even though he had secrets and you thought the big secret was Verena but then you find out what he did to that priestess and just like Geralt said <laughs> do it yourself <laughs> like you can kill yourself now because you realize how bad of a guy he was so it had all these twists and turns in it but even to the point of you're questioning morality like who whose side do you take here and uh, that's why I put the fight with the Bruxa so high on my list. And I ranked uh, the fight with the Bruxa between with Geralt, Siri, and Nevelin as number three. So, awesome. That's cool. Uh, I want to go into my number two here. And my number two favorite moment, and it's, it's interesting when you said you had to kind of make a decision and like take sides. Because my number two moment in season two of the witcher happens to be when Cirilla is taken over by Volith Mir and she's in that dreamlike state and she's in that level of comfort everything back to normal for her she's got her family back Mausak's there uh her grandmother Calanthe's there uh she even ends up dancing with I think his name is Martin or something like that <laughs> I don't even know but like like everything is like back in her most comfortable safe space that she's been in since the very beginning of episode one of season one right she like she's back in this beautiful time of her life and not only that later like you know in a few scenes from this like her actual parents show up in this dream-like state and Dooney and and, and Pavetta and so the reason why I, I, I'm bringing this up is because why I thought this moment was so impactful is that she had to kind of make a decision to try to fight and get back to herself and her body or stay with the comfort that she knew from her past, even though it wasn't real. You know, like, like you, could, you could see Geralt trying to break through to her like, Siri, it's not real. Like, I know what we have. It's not, you know, it's not enough. It's not a lot, but it's real. Like, you know, trying to break through to her. And, and so Sterling kind of has to make this decision, this internal struggle. Like, do I stay here in the safety of like you know it might be a lie it might be a mirage but like i feel comfortable here i'm happy here like this is a moment that i'll never get back again like do i do i just you know let things happen and, and stay here and stay safe or do i 
you know, continue to fight and do I go forward? And, you know, and that's, that's why it was such a big moment for me when she chose to finally you know, come back to Geralt and, and Yennefer and, and the, the world through there uh, as well. Because they, you know, Yennefer was pulling Volmir out of Cyril and Cyril very well could have decided not to. And she made the decision to, uh, you know, continue on with the good fight and, you know, turn her back on her family, even though they weren't real. She they had to take a lot to turn away from them and decide, you know, to make the decision that she made. So for me, that's what made uh, this moment hit my number two on my list of favorite moments, top five favorite moments here in season two. What do you got for uh, number two? Yeah, audience is going to give me shit about this too. Because <laughs> they're going to be like, all you got is fucking battles on your list, Chase. <laughs> but uh, number two, man, I had to put it on there. I put uh, the moment, it's funny you mentioned, you know, Siri making decisions. Because it, it's a little similar, not really. But when Rience was coming after Cirilla uh, and Yennefer takes Siri through the portal, and Geralt has to take on all those fucking guys by himself i thought it was fucking badass strictly for just the one-on-one combat i had to do it i thought it was fucking awesome there wasn't too much of like in-depth of like you know oh there was so much decision making going on strictly it was an action scene but it was fucking awesome the way he took on all those people even throwing the sword after Rience, trying to get to him still seeing Jennifer at the portal trying to get her to make a decision it was awesome. Everyone remembers they called that guy Firefucker for a reason. It was great. I ranked it as number two. Geralt taking on, what do you call them? The brothers or something? They were like, uh, no, yeah, the, the Michelet brothers. Michelet brothers, yeah. So Geralt fighting the Michelet brothers was number two on my list. What's your number one spot, my man? My, my number one spot, and this is just because. I don't know where this goes from here, and it could be fucking crazy. My number one favorite moment from season two of The Witcher is when Volthmir merged with the Wraiths of Morag. That is my number one favorite moment because, like, I don't know, man. Like, do we've got, like, Volthmir on steroids? Do we got the Wraiths of Morag on steroids? Like, are they, like, together? Are they apart? Like, uh, like what is the initiative now? Are they coming? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, we, she was already a beast. And like you said, you can't really say the witches defeated her. You know, they trapped her in a hut for, you know, thousands of years or whatever. And she still was alive and escaped. And then, like, you know, she didn't really, they didn't really beat uh, her out of Cirilla, they like pulled her out with magic, and she's about to take over Yennefer. But then you know she, they ended up going to that other realm, and she decided, you know what, I'm going to a more powerful entity in these Wraiths of Morag. And you saw like the the embers going to them, and their eyes like, like the eyes glow, and it spoke to like you know them, and it's just like whoa, man, like we might got we we might be uh, you know a Hurricane Category 74, man. Like I don't know, like we're we we might have some real problems coming up, and like. Just because of the unknown of it and how big and impactful it could be, I had to put that as my number one favorite moment in season two. Just watching the two major villains that we've heard, like her being a major villain, but like this, it was almost like this mythical, uh, uh, like the the what is it, like the mystical creature, the Wraiths of Morag. I forget what the, the other thing that they call them. I don't know, like the hunt or something. I don't, I don't know, like the the wild hunt. The wild hunt. That's what it is. Like you know, we got this mythical band called like the wild hunt of you know these creatures and the Wraiths of Morag here, and she just joined up with them, or like she maybe have taken over the leader, and now she's like, who knows, man. So for that reason, that's hitting my number one spot on my favorite moments. What's your number one? 
Yeah, man, and they're gonna give me shit again because all I got is a bunch of battles <laughs> on my damn list here. But my number one spot, I uh, you know, I and I guess I ranked it more this high because I I didn't put them on my monster list. But dude, the Witcher's fight in the Basilisks, it was fucking awesome. It was badass. I mean, they, you saw how many they killed of the Witchers, and at the same time, you had. Volith Mir that was possessed Siri and she was throwing the shards of the tree at the witchers back and forth as they were having to use their shields and then Geralt used the Igni to start that like fire flame to try to like back it off. Just the whole fight scene, ending fight scene of this series in that series finale was absolutely phenomenal. Um, it, it, you always ask yourself as an audience member like how are they going to top themselves with this next monster and they keep doing it <laughs> like they just keep doing it uh so i put the witchers fighting the basilisks and volith Mir as number one i love how you still can't say basilisk yet but that's that's another story bass lie <laughs> the bass lie <laughs> It's plural, Basculi. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> you know what? I think this is because you've mentioned these. Uh, I'm going to have you. You know what? I'm going to play the Malice and the Chalice card here. And it's been a minute since I've played any cards. But what I want you to do, and I don't, we don't necessarily need to go in like the reasons why. Maybe like one or two bullets of maybe why you put it in this area. Off the top of your head. Because you love these battle scenes, man. How about you rank your battle scenes from five to one in season two? Like you know, number five to the, you know the, your your made the top list, but you know, ranking up to number one is your favorite battle scene. How about you quickly go through that and uh, tell me what your favorite battle scenes are? Let's see, man. Well, I already told you the top three. <laughs> so okay, let's see. So uh, bottom two, let's roll. Um, hmm. Give myself a little malice here going. A little malice here. Um, you know what battle scene I really did like, though? Is I really did like the battle scene with the dwarves. With Yarden, I think is his name. Yarden, and when he came in to save uh, save uh, Cirilla from Yennefer when they got up to like Nilfgaard or wherever they was. It was really in front of the hut. But that was a good one. I'm trying to think of what's another another good one here that I can think of. Because I basically listed almost all of them anyways. Um, let's see. You know, okay, here's how I'll, I'll rank this for you. I would say, and the Chernobog was good too. Man, these are, these are tough. These are really tough. I can't even put the elf scene. The not the elf scene. The uh, the elf scene. That was another good one too. But I can't even put the fucking dwarves in there. Because I guess okay. So here's what I would rank as number five. Number five battle scene. I have to rank the Myriapod because I thought it was absolutely fantastic how he cut off the head of that thing and jumped down from a cliff and it was chasing Siri through like the mountains or whatever. That was that was fucking sick. Number four, I would have to rank number four as the Chernobog. That was badass because he used Cirilla as bait. She had to go up to the mountain. It was after you had that emotional connection because Roach has been killed and you saw it took that big gash out of Roach. And he like dragged it down after stabbing it in there and it died like Viserion from Game of Thrones. So I'd rank that as number four. Number three, 
gotta rank the fight with the Bruxa as number three just because it was absolutely badass. It had that screeching ability. It was intimidating. It was it was creepy, horrifying. And then it contorted itself uh, when it was stabbed through the back by Nivellin and was pulling itself through. And then you had to have, uh, you know, remember Geralt cut its, like, cut it, like, in half. And, like, half its pieces were in one place. And it was even talking out its head when it was decapitated. So that was badass. Number two, you know, I have to put the fight with Rience and the Michelet brothers the firefucker taking on Geralt because he took on so many people at once. It reminded me of the hound just beating that ass. <laughs> this is what it reminded me of. And then number one, we're going to say Volathmir and the Basilisk because just like you said, the Basilisk, Basilisk, Basili, whatever you want to call him, whatever's the proper name, I'm pretty sure Basili. <laughs> so I'm just fucking with you guys. But um, they're the most powerful monsters we've ever seen them fight they killed three witchers one knocked Geralt all the way out the door and at the same time he we say this is the most powerful monsters but yet they're fighting Volathmir which is the most powerful antagonist we've ever seen <laughs> before to the point of witchers couldn't even beat her before they had to trap her inside a hut thousands of years ago so uh, I would rank that as number one what about you man I want your mouse in the chalice I want your top five battle scenes, and, hmm, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a tough one. And I want to know how you would compare this season to season one and what you liked better. Uh, cool. Uh, to kind of go through my, my five favorite battle scenes, you know what? This is going to be an interesting one. I don't think people really think about... Ah, you know what? I'll put I'll put it at number. Let's go number five, the Bruxa battle. It was cool. It started things out. It, I I enjoyed it, and the Bruxa was definitely a badass. It it was still more of a more of what, the same what we saw in terms of you know Geralt overcoming it, but we needed a little help from uh, Nivellin to kind of put the spear through. Then he took it off. Like so, it it didn't rank any higher just because I didn't think there was a lot of importance to where the show went from that battle. Don't get me wrong, it was a cool battle, looked awesome, but I always like to think next level and like, hey, how does this affect things going forward? So I'll put the, the Bruxa battle as number five. Uh, number four, I think this one kind of slips people's minds a bit. I really thought the battle between Rience and Vesemir and Kay Morin was really important because Vesemir is, the, is like the top guy like of the Witchers who, you know, obviously he's older now, a little bit longer in the tooth, but, you know, he's no slouch he's no like bum when it comes to fighting and you know Rience came in like fucked his ass up and took Cyril's blood and that and now we still don't know what happened with uh, the with, with Rience taking Cyril's blood obviously Lydia like inhaled some of it and we like her face kind of went you know Harvey Dent style on us we don't really know what happened <laughs> there right and that's something I hope in season three answers but point being like that was a really big uh, catalytic moment with uh with Vesemir you just got to see him get defeated by this you know fire mage and we don't really know much, obviously. And one, another one of my battles coming up here is going to mention him again. But I thought that was pretty important that we saw Vesemir and him go one-on-one. And that wasn't even just one-on-one because he also took out Triss Marigold, too. She was helping Vesemir, and they were no chance. It was crazy, man. So that was my number four. My number three 
is uh, Yarp and Zigrin and the dwarves when they took out the Sintrin guards out, outside of that by the monolith. I just thought that was cool. It wasn't like a huge battle or anything like that. But you see these like dwarves just run in like half the size of these humans taking heads off. One of the heads landed in, in our boy Yaskir's hands and he's like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> they just took him out. They just they knocked those Sintrin guards. <laughs> they made like, hot knife through butter. Wasn't even close. So thought that was pretty cool. And like how that really meant for the episode too. Because like let's say... They don't show up in time. Well, guess what? Cyril is now taken captive by Sintra, which is technically Nilfgaard because Nilfgaard took over Sintra. So now Nilfgaard has, you know, they've, they've accomplished their goal of finding and capturing Cyrilla. So, you know, that was really important how that goes forward. And we got to see the the real crossroads between Yennefer and Geralt. Like, you saw his eyes when he caught up with her. He put the sword right to her neck, and he was not he was not happy. So I, I put that there at number three just because I thought, it, number one, it, it was a cool visually, but also it, it had a lot of uh, a lot riding on that. And then number two, I put the Basilisk battle with, like, Volithmir and the Basilisks because that involved everyone. It was big. Uh, like, like I mentioned there, they did end up killing Witchers, three of them. Very impressive. Uh, it was a cool battle scene to watch. But I think more about that battle was less about the battle itself and more about, like, trying to draw Volithmir from Cirilla. That was like the main goal of that they were just battling because they had to because she, you know, brought these monsters forward. You know, they they have to like, you know, go you know, go fight them. So, you know, I, I a lot of people can make the argument that that's the number one battle in season two. I'm gonna make the argument that it's the second one just because uh, you know, it, it wasn't so much there was more to it than just the battle scene itself and and it was that battle was almost like a secondary, you know, reaction to the main goal which was to get Volithmir out. And for me the number one battle was the uh, the Michelet brothers and Rience against Geralt in the temple. Because number one, keep in mind, I don't think you mentioned this, that he's not, he's not allowed to have his weapons. My guy Geralt, yeah, literally, right. yeah. my guy Geralt had to fight these guys. There was, I don't know, six of them probably, and a fire mage. And he doesn't even have an ability to use magic like a mage does. He's got little, like, you know, baby magic things that he can do here and there. But... <laughs> My guy had to fight seven people in total, one being a very powerful fire mage that just beat his uh, his father figure in Vesemir. He had to fight all seven of these guys by himself, no help, no weapons. <laughs> had to like de-arm these guys, disarm these guys and take their weapons and go forward and stuff and it was just and that was a pure battle scene. Like that itself was just pure like you know, it was that is the epitome of what a battle scene is. I thought that was the best one in the season two so far of The Witcher. So that is my five through one to kind of go back over that real quickly. That's going to be the uh, Bruxa battle, number five. Rience versus, Bessir, Rience versus Bessemir, number four. Yarp and Zigrin and Geralt versus the Sintrin guards, number three. The Basilisk battle, number two. And the Michelet brothers battle, number one. And then to answer the second part of your Malice in the Chalice, and like, if I'm going to compare this to season one and which one I liked better, it's really hard because I really we never we've never really seen a series do what The Witcher did in season one, and it was very interesting. We had to follow three main characters across three different timelines. The timelines didn't right. even match up. It wasn't like it was all present day. We're like, you know, we're following Yennefer from years back when she first got, you know, when she had the, the hunchback and she was first going into Eratuza. Then we had to follow 
Geralt like somewhere in the middle between that and present day. Then we had to follow Cirilla at present day. And, you know, it just, there was so much you had to do. And you had to really keep up and make sure that you weren't missing anything. And, you know, this, this second season, it was still important and to, to, you know, detailed wise to keep up and making sure you're not missing details. But it was just a lot easier to follow, in my opinion. You were still following right. different characters, but like, we have an idea. Everyone's on the same timeline now. We know where things are going. We're kind of seeing where sides are being taken at. Um, so like, it's hard for me to compare which one I like better. I thought it was more interesting the way season one went with it and something that was unique I've never seen before. Season two, uh, we're starting to see some things answered, some things come full circle, and now you're kind of gearing up. We're playing chess almost very similar to, I would call it, the the War of the Five Kings in Game of Thrones where each was making a play. Now Rodania's coming into the fold. You know, like the mages want to kill Cirilla, Nilfgaard wants to capture Cirilla, and the leader of Nilfgaard is actually Cirilla's dad, Dooney, who we thought was dead. Like, you know, so it's like, there's just a lot of moving pieces. So it's hard for me to say I like one over the other. I like them both. They were great. It's just they, the, the, the way they went about it was completely different, and I was much more intrigued about the way they went with it in season one because I just have never seen it before. So that's my take on it. What about you? That's a tough one. Uh, Cause just like you said, you know, I really like how interesting it was in season one with the different timelines. Cause you, you're right. You really had to keep up. Um, it's tough. I guess I might say, I guess I like season two better just because of the more game of Thrones aspect, because now you really are starting to see everyone play chess with each other like now they're all searching for Cirilla whereas we didn't really know a whole lot we knew Cirilla had special abilities in season one but we didn't really know what that was or what that in told we didn't know she was the key to like making more witchers and what her blood was and all that stuff uh, also season two they introduced the elves so I kind of got to side with season two because you know I'm an elf guy. We're going to be talking about a lot of that shit with elves <laughs> coming up shortly at some point. There's going to be a lot of elf talk on here. <laughs> now, I've always been an elf guy, even going back to my boy Dobby. You know, it's all about the elves on here. So I'm going to go ahead and go with, I'll say season two, barely, I guess. I, I they, It's tough because like they can't really be compared. Like they can't really be compared. Um, but I guess if I had to pick, I'd say season two, but I, I thought they were both great. Cool. I think that that's pretty badass. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some things we're looking forward to seeing, you know, into season three. What are some of the, you know, maybe the people you're looking closer to follow, like the overarching themes of where we're going? Like, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that. Yeah, for season three... Uh, I'm really interested to see where the white flame goes and the moves he makes. Um, one thing I really want to see is what's the fate of Frangilla? Is it Frangilla, Frangilla, whatever the fuck her name is? It's Frangilla. And, <laughs> Frangilla and Kahir. Now that they're in that basement or in the dungeon, wherever the fuck they're at. Um, also, I want to see you know how this plays out with all the moving pieces and everyone's coming for Cirilla's blood now because and and i want to know what's going on with whatever that girl's name was that was an owl like how that's going on with Dijkstra 
and um, and then you're gonna have the elves that are gonna maybe cause an uprising there with everything that's going on. Um, one thing I want to see in season three, though, I feel like it's gonna be really hard to capitalize on all these different moving pieces at one time. Uh, but one thing I really do want to see is I want to see I want to see the development of the White Flames army, uh, Dooney's army. And I would really like to see Cirilla find out about her father. Maybe not come in contact with her father, but find out through some source of the other that her father is alive and who he actually is and i want to see Geralt's reaction when he finds this out and then you're going to have a major problem um, with everything going on finding out from i want to find out exactly how that's going to work out with Tissaia and everything now that Yennefer's left and if there's ever going to be any sort of um you know any sort of uh, interaction there between Tissaia and Yennefer again or if Tissaia is you know just going to go on this big long run with Vilgeforts so there's a lot I want to see and there's a lot of questions that need to be answered but I think we're at the perfect time to where you're kind of going to have like a season three of Game of Thrones like I want something really surprising to happen at the end of season three and I think you're building up to the point now unfortunately i hate to say this but someone important has to die like i don't think you're gonna have like cirilla Geralt, or yennefer like none of those three but whether it's something like vesemir or something like we saw three witchers killed okay whoop-de-doo basil that's that's cool i didn't know any of them from adam have a good day i hate to say it who gives a fuck because now we can make more, right? That's what happens. You know, you have one. That's why we got series blood. So we can replace them. Because they're replaceable. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But my point is, is I think you're getting to the point now. Once you get into season three, by the end of season three, we got to have someone die that's going to make a major impact. What do you think? On that part as a whole or like what I'm looking forward to? I guess I'll answer both. So both. I... Both. I, I agree with you. I, I do think they need to kill off somebody important. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be any of the big three, meaning Geralt, Yennefer, or Cirilla. I don't think that's going to happen. But I would love to kind of see, I don't know, I think Vesemir is a good option for someone who could, who could take the hit. Uh, also, maybe because, uh, no, I do think he's going to play an important role. So I, don't, I, I was going to say Istrid, but I think him being the only historian and kind of trying to find things from different angles, there's no way they're going to kill him off. So I don't think that's feasible. So um, maybe instead of that, maybe like an important mage, uh, maybe Vilgeforts, maybe they, they you know they, and that will help to say I kind of you know, become more of uh, not thinking so much about other people's feelings and really just kind of go crazy with it. You know what I mean? Um, that would be kind of cool to see Vilgeforts take the fall. Um, maybe even uh, yeah I think that there's still more in their character story arcs too between um, Kahir and Fringilla so maybe Phil Evandril maybe I could see Phil Evandril him yeah. going I think yeah. that'd be a, you know, a good one that could potentially be on the chopping block so you know I definitely think I agree with you we're, if we're getting here to season 3 it's funny because you know uh, they in season 1 
they took out that one girl like immediately who I thought could have been like a really big important you know like when Stregobor tried to hire Geralt to take her at Renfrey to try to take out Renfrey, Renfrey. yeah, yeah Renfrey, and like yeah. you know and she ends up dying in, like the first episode I'm like oh there yeah. this is this is we're really like no one's safe here awesome and then it's like you know we haven't really had that big notable death yet um you know so I'm hoping you know we get some red wedding type shit you know <laughs> but I don't yeah. know man like right. uh that'd be really cool uh in terms of some of the things I would love to see and overall like character arcs I'm looking forward to following Speaking of, of Eastrid and why I think he's important, he's the guy that's kind of looking for things outside the norm. Like, like these other people, the, remember he went to the building of Codringer and Fen, and they were, did, like, deals in confiltration and legal services, and they had all these extra books that were, um, you know, lost art, lost books of art, and, like, you know, people couldn't find them anywhere else. I would love to kind of see them come into play uh, more, you know? I don't really know. Maybe, like, I'm just a consulting capacity and not like on a main character role or anything like that but i would love it like if they were like maybe one episode out of every season they played some little minor role in providing information that was helpful to somebody you know maybe even see them kind of play back and forth on both sides of the, the you know i i just think that they've got so much information and they've gained and they've accumulated so much like historic and secret and lost works that it, it that would be kind of cool. But that again, I don't see that happening. I'm just saying what I would like to see. I'm not predicting that that's going to be the case. It's just one of those things that, you know, I, I like I said, I like to think next level on certain things. And I think that that could be a cool little mini thing to follow. Um, on top of that, I, I'm with you in terms of what the whole deal with is with this dungeon and Kahir and Frangilla. Cause she, you know, basically she had mentioned she'd rather die than go back to that, that dungeon thing. And, well, Dooney came in, saw that they, they lied to him, and they took them both to the dungeon. So what the <laughs> hell is this dungeon that has her terrified? I'm really curious to see. Um, other things, too, is you know what? who is going to be the overarching villain in Season 3? Is it going to be Volhmir again, or is she just kind of going to be in the waiting wings until like a later season where she comes back and it's like, damn. you know? So are we going to have like another mini you know, villain taking the throne of uh, what we need to stop. Is it going to be like the battle of the five armies where Redania is fighting, I don't know, Tamaria and, you know, other places get involved too. Is Eratusa going to, like we talked about, do a split? And I don't think this is going to happen in season three, but I think we both think that the mage's uh, current construction is non-sustainable. You know, we've got the, the, the chair and the co-chair arguing with the people who were the chair and co-chair before and they are at deep odds and they've kind of split you know the mages 50-50 between them and so are we going to get some level of civil war there and you know on top of that what I do think is going to be a, a big play for season 3 is all of these different factions searching for Cirilla like I had mentioned in, in passing here a little bit ago you know the mages want to kill Cirilla, get her out of there, and you know make it make no mistake about it. Just you know, hey, life was easier when we thought she was dead. Let's just 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 do that, you know. And then obviously Dooney, her father is looking for her from Nilfgaard, uh, Dijkstra with his owl friend. <laughs> they want they are doing something over there in Redania. They want to find her. Rienz, who I'm assuming is hired by Dijkstra, who really knows? But you know he's searching for uh, Cirilla as well. Geralt and Yennefer are trying to protect her, and you know, maybe like make it so she can develop to the best version of herself so we got a lot of things in play there i'm also really curious to what yaskier's role was because remember what deeks just said it's time for the bar to pay up for like and like uh, and like i don't know what that meant like or pay, pay his benefactor back that's what it was it's time for the 
it's time for the bar to pay back his benefactor. Meaning, like, they were giving the Yaskir money to do something. I don't know what it was. Was it, you know, saving the elves? Was it something completely different? Is Yaskir deeply involved in something that we don't know about? You know, we kind of think of him as this funny, you know, bard who, it's, number one, sings well. Number two is hilarious and, and gets off, like, one-liners and, you know, insults Geralt. But gets away with it because he's really funny and just, you know, he's, like, that comedic effect. But is he just a comedic effect? Or is he involved in some stuff that we're not really sure about? I don't know. Like... Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I'm really curious to see where Yaskier's storyline goes too, and then uh, the rest of the Witchers. I think that's going to be a big thing with with Cyrilla's blood. Are we going to get new Witchers? Are we going to see Lydia with Cyrilla's blood use it to create like quote unquote evil Witchers? I don't know, man. Like I think that is figuring out what we do with Cyrilla's blood is, is going to be important, and what actually happened to Lydia when she tried to inhale it. Is she now a witcher? Is she just a more powerful version of herself? Because she's, you know, she couldn't talk. She had to talk like telepathically to uh, Rience and whoever the other person was in the shadows there. So it's like, because she said, we won't fail you. But she didn't say that with her, her mouth. So, like, I don't know. Like, what is she now? And where is, where is that going? Another thing I'm looking forward to see is, like, what new monsters can they put in? Because this series is called The Witcher. And the Witcher's jobs are to fight and kill monsters. So what other monsters are there possibly going to be? I mean, I know Chase probably has an answer to that because he has, like, the Book of Monsters for the Witcher. And they probably are going to come up in pieces and places. But, like, it's going to be cool to see how they look on screen and some of their characteristics and abilities. I think that would be really cool, you know, going forward into Season 3. Another part, too, like, you know, what in the deal? Like, like, what are we going to do about all these monoliths? Right, I think one of the biggest shocks, and I probably should have put this in my one of my favorite moments. I just couldn't fit it in with all the other things I thought were more important. But the fact that the Witcher tree was actually a monolith the whole time is really important. Like, what the fuck was that? Like, it's just like all these things are, are happening. Are we gonna? Are they just gonna become like doors, and we're just gonna have things flying in from different spheres? I don't know. Like, I have no clue. Like, but that's something I think you know the monoliths have been at you know, being been in play for a little bit now. They've made them important kind of showed that that you know they are more than meets the eye and another part of this too is like you mentioned with the elves what, what's going to happen with them they believe that redania is the one that you know was responsible for the death of their baby elf it actually was dooney and so are they going to find out the truth in season three is that going to be something more season four-ish that they find out are they are they going to try to take the side of Novgorod? are we going to have like uh, kingdom versus kingdom wars or is this going to be, you know, are the elves going to join one side or the other? Or are they just going to be independent now that that got out information? Because remember, I'm not really like, big on this Eastred guy. He just sneaks his way in and does like little tiny things, but it gives up big information. You know, he's the one that found out that the weapon wasn't a weapon, it was a person. And, you know, then the chief told, they, they said that he at the very end of the season went up to the elves and like he got caught, you know, by the guards and, and uh, she's uh, Heineke or whatever it's called. But they're like, wait. Do you think that Cyrilla might now might now be who, who Ethelene promised, right? So that where's that that go? Now elves are also looking for Cyrilla now too, as I may <laughs> I might mention uh, there. And then how much does Cyrilla develop here in season three? Does she get to a level where she's competent without the direction of Yennefer and Geralt, or does she just you know progressively slowly get better, kind of like Arya? Like uh, in Game of Thrones, where you know it took her till season six to be a badass, or like you know what I mean. Like, 
What, where, where are we going there? And then, you know, does she get kidnapped? Does one of the places take her? And if so, do Yennefer and Geralt you know, finally put aside all differences and stop bitching about each other and really, you know, come together and take out who needs to be taken out to get Cirilla back? Like, you know, those are just some of the questions and things I'm thinking of, and that's just off the top of my head. But there's just so many different ways in which Season 3 can go and so many character arcs and storylines I'm really interested in following. Like, and all of a sudden, too, what, what is this meeting of the kingdoms? We had, like, Foltis. We had, like, this this other, like, girl. I forgot. I had the name somewhere. I, I mentioned the other one there. But we got, like, all those kingdoms meeting. And uh, Taseo was the one addressing all of them. You know, like, like who are these people? Are we going to have to follow them specifically? Or are we just following them, their, their kingdoms here? I don't know, man. Uh, I think there's a lot to be... Either, there's a lot left in this series that is going to make it very watchable for a long time. And I'm curious to see where they go. I just, those are some of the things I would like to see get answers to, whether it be season three or beyond. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, and this other thing too, her being the daughter of chaos, you know, when is it going to get to the point that she, you know, with her powers become almost unmanageable for anybody? Is that going to be a point? Because I told, I gave that prediction that I think Pavetta, her powers basically consumed her. And so I think Pavetta's dead. And is that going to be why Dooney wants to keep her there to make sure it doesn't happen to Cirilla and you know is that going to be something that becomes an issue too and I don't think that's something we'll probably see in season three but definitely something that I want I think is going to be worth notating going forward there so those are just some of my thoughts and everything I don't know man did you have anything else before we close up for the day no it was a it was an awesome season I mean I, I keep saying this over and over like just the ride of it was awesome and and just seeing these different character story arcs going so many different ways you really are turning into like a game of thrones meets harry potter sort of thing um and i'm just stoked for it i mean it's like i said it's it's great knowing that this show has so much potential because it has a book series from before and i think that's what's so great about it is they have been dedicated to the book side of things and, and have really taken the time with the writing um, to make sure everything's detailed to the point you're not finding a whole lot of plot holes and it's keeping it intriguing and exciting with the action but also very interesting and opening up more questions at the same time and you're feeling like you're actually connected to these characters versus just throwing so many characters in, you feel like you're not connected to them. We're growing with all these characters, and it's it's not just like one character here, one character there. There's literally almost 10 different ones that we're following at this point. It's great stuff. It's a fantastic time to be a Witcher fan, and I think uh, it's great closing out season two, and and, you know, now they just tossed out this whole Blood Origins thing. So, I mean, we're going to see where this universe expands. I'm stoked for it. Uh, Jay Nelly, what closing, uh, closing thoughts did you have on it? One other thing is just that that was a really good point when you mentioned the books because we kind of saw with, you know, talking about Game of Thrones when the books ran out of content, the writing of the show got a little interesting. Well, if... There, there, there's only three books in the Witcher series, right? Is there, or is there more? Am I mistaken? Is there more than three books in the Witcher series? Uh, there's eight. Oh, okay, I'm... good. Okay, so we got plenty of time. I was, I was under the impression that there was only three books and that we were going to be running out of material for the show. And I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, when they are left to their own devices, are we going to kind of get that same sort of deal where you can tell, there you can noticeably tell that there's a drop off 
in quality of writing once you know they run out of books but if they've got eight books and you know we're gonna yeah. be fine for a while and actually so. i i stand corrected so one's um a prequel there's actually nine so okay so we, we <laughs> there's nine books <laughs> yeah we, we got, okay we got plenty of material going forward i was i was a little nervous I, for some reason in my head i had thought there was only three so i was like man if they run out of material for those three like are they gonna like you know suck at writing kind of like game of thrones after they <laughs> did all the, the details with dance of dragons in there like so uh, no, that's, that's and then it actually bodes very very well. So I'm excited about that. But those are the only closing thoughts I had on that. I mean, outside of that, guys, you know, thanks for tuning in with us. We hope you enjoyed The Witcher. It was like, one of those cool ones where we kind of took it slow, one little episode at a time, and kind of got to end it with something fun here today. If this is your first time joining us, this was like a classic Chase and Josh episode where we kind of get to have fun, be ourselves, argue a little bit. Uh, you know, so thanks for joining us. If it is your first time, if you've been with us since day one. Jace always says it. You guys are the shields that guard the realms of fantasy, and we're happy that you've stuck with us, and we hope all the new people uh, want to you know, tag along for the ride too. So uh, if you haven't done so already, guys, give us a follow on our social media. You can find us on Instagram at OfficialRidiculousPatronus. You can find us on TikTok at RidiculousPatronus. Find us on Facebook, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Find us on our own website, RidiculousPatronus.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. Find us on Snapchat, rp factor fantasy so we have all those pages that you can go ahead and click like subscribe follow along we also on youtube as well uh, ridiculous patronus so uh, we're really excited we hope to see you guys there on our social sites uh, when it comes to the podcast itself you can follow us anywhere you guys do get your podcast so if you are apple users go ahead and follow us on apple podcast go ahead and follow us on itunes click subscribe leave us reviews on those areas uh, if you're an android user Follow us on, uh, you know, subscribe on Google Play. Follow us on Spotify. You can now leave star reviews on Spotify, which is an amazing new tool that they added. Uh, you know, we're on iHeartRadio. We're on Audible. We're on Amazon Music. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on Acast. We're on Podbean, our host site. You know, so wherever you guys do get your podcast, again, feel free to follow Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We love the audience engagement. But outside of that, I think we're done for the day because you guys know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing off. off.